Lord God, we come once again before your word and we humble ourselves, Lord, to receive from Almighty God something up for the season, something that will touch our hearts, refresh us, renew and recommit ourselves spiritually before you. That Almighty God would teach us and reveal himself to us through a human instrument. So God, come. We welcome your teaching, your guidance through Pastor Chiming. In Jesus' name, amen. Just check here. Joash, can you turn this on? Morning. Morning. This is the last day of the school holiday. Those of you who have uh, uh, keeping track, the last day. And uh, I, us- I think usually holiday we see a lesser crowd. Uh, today, also quite the same. <laughs> Hope you see more people coming to worship the Lord together. Uh, we are now into the middle part of this series on First King. Let me just have a recap. Uh, I started off by talking about uh, King Solomon, the height of the uh, Israel in terms of his kingship, in terms of his empire. Then um, Pastor Kokfai talks about the, the second message about God getting a house, a temple of the Lord, how God actually lives within us. And last week, we talked about a fading of a shadow. There were many kings, but uh, Pastor Guna zoomed in on just one king, King Asa. Then today, we're going to talk about how long will you waver. We're going to talk about uh, this particular king called King Ahab and his time, uh, how he was confronted by uh, the prophet uh, Elijah. As we look at this series, it's important that we see how God is uh, dealing with his people and what does it, what's the implication for us today? Today, uh, we are faced with different kind of uh, decisions. Life is full of decisions. Some decisions seem minor, like what you're going to eat this morning, what you're going to wear. These are all minor things. It's not life and death. But some decisions have big impact. Big impact like who you're going to marry. Big impact. And if you're a British citizen, a few days ago, your decisions impact the whole world. <laughs> not just yourself. I heard the stock market, uh, there were $2 trillion to, uh, loss in the stock market just because of uh, the people of uh, British, their decisions impact not just uh, Britain, but all the way down to this part of the world. Big decisions. Some decisions are important. You have to make it straight away. Some you can delay. And today we're going to look at how God confronted the people of Israel. They need to decide on key decisions about their life. So let me just give you an overview about where this story fit into God's big narratives. Uh, can we? First of all, let me just see. Okay, we have creations. God created the heavens and the earth, and then God wants to raise a group of people, uh, call His people, so that through them they can share His glory. So He raised, He gave a promise to Abraham and then to his descendants. And these are the people who are called Israel, the people of God. And then they were brought into bondage in Israel, uh, in, into Egypt. And God led them out of bondage into the promised land. 
And during the promised land, they were led by a group of people called the Judges. And after Judges, they were came together and they formed a nation under the United Kingdom. And we have talk, I've talked about this. It started off with King Saul, then King David, and ended up with King Solomon. And after King Solomon, because of his sin, the nations were divided. It came into a divided kingdom. The North Kingdom, it's called Israel. Israel is called the Northern Kingdom. And then the Southern Kingdom is called Judah. And after that, God said, you need to repent, you need to come back to me, but the people still do not come back, particularly the northern uh, kingdom. They were exiled. So they were left only a surviving kingdom, just the southern kingdom. But again, they also rebel against God. They pursue other God, they pursue other things, and God had to judge them. And they went into captivities for 70 years. And after the captivities, God restored them back to the land. And that's when uh, the Lord Jesus Christ came. Last week, we talked about King Asa. King Asa, also he was the, the southern, one of the king from the southern kingdom, king of Judah. This week, today, we're going to talk about King Ahab who will be confronted by a prophet called Prophet Elijah. We are talking about the, the top there. So this is a good overview uh, about what we're going to cover. So today, we're going to talk about this guy called Elijah. Those of you who have read the Bible, you are very, um, perhaps, perhaps you know about this guy called Elijah. His name was mentioned many times in the Bible. However, we do not know much about his background, his family, his call to prophets, except that this was, the Bible says he was just an ordinary guy. Filled with fear, filled with weaknesses, worries, fear about his death, and yet a man who knows God. In fact, his name, Elijah, means Jehovah is my God. Jehovah or the Lord is my God. He knows his God. God raised him up to prophesy, to do great things. So if you have the Bible, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 16. If not, you can just look up here. Um, First Kings 16. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, that is the southern kingdom, Ahab, the son of Omri, became the king of Israel, that's the northern kingdom. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel for 22 years. Ahab, the son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebab, that is the first king of the northern kingdom, he also married Jezebel, the daughter of Abla, the king of Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worshipped him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. So there are a few names here. Let me just first of all you see this king called King Ahab. Between first king chapter one to chapter sixteen, there were nine kings who ruled on both kingdoms. Solomon, I mentioned, because of his weakness for the approval 
for his and also weakness, desire for power, consolidations. He sinned against God. He led the nation astray by worshipping different other gods. And God had to judge the people. God made a covenant with Israel. The covenant was this. If you obey me and be faithful to me, I will bless you because I want to make you a blessing to nations. But if you disobey me, if you go and go your own way, you choose other gods above me, there will be consequences. There will be judgments. And this is one of the judgments. The nations were divided into two. Divided into two. And all the northern kingdom, all the kings were bad. None. But the worst of all is this guy, King Ahab. Later I'll tell you why. King Ahab. Because under his reign, the people began to lose track about who God is and they worship different other gods. One of the key reasons why he was so evil is because of this lady, Queen Jezebel. Queen Jezebel. She was an evil tyrant who corrupted her husband by promoting pagan worship. Where is she from? She was from Sidon, a commercial uh, city in the coast of the uh, Mediterranean. Known for its vices, known for its idolatry. So King Ahab married her. Maybe because of political uh, reason, he married her. And then she came. But she didn't just come alone. She came with all the worship of the idol, the god Baal and the Asherah pole. She came in. And then she became, she controlled King Ahab behind the scene. And when, when the people want to worship God, Jehovah, the Lord himself, Queen Jezebel massacred a lot of the prophets of God. And that's why the whole nation turned around. There was a queen, evil queen, and there was an evil king who followed up the queen. And these were the gods that they are worshipping. The worship of Baal. What is this God about? It's a God of nature, as well as the God of sex to them, and also the God of reproductions. And to worship this God here, there is also temple prostitutions. They go to have temple, they have sex with the temple prostitute. That's part of their worship. And they will also tell sacrifices to them. At the same time, there is also worship of Asherah pole. Asherah is Baal's wife. She's said to be a god of uh, the goddess of love and the goddess of war. To some mystical spiritual union, they are the ones that rejuvenate so-called the earth and cause fruitfulness. Such a very weird kind of worship. Why are they so attractive? Why? If you see, people who have desire for sex, you go to worship God, you have sex. And then that's part of worship. It's coming attractive. And people desire for fruitfulness. So they look for this God. And then they look at Jehovah God, the nations have turned away. This looks more attractive. This too. So they are willing to pay off some of these sacrifices, some of these, uh, consec- some of these prizes in order to yearn for some of the blessing that they think they can glean from these gods. And that's Israel. But today, we have also different other gods that yearn for our attentions, vying for our hearts, vying for our minds. Some of these gods offer us good things. But yet, the demand of the price is also great. Some of these gods are so-called good things, but we have turned it into the ultimate things. And we could look at it later. 
And guess what? Because they turned away from God, God had to judge them. That's why there was drought into the nations. God raised up the prophet Elijah to confront the king and then say that there will be drought, there will be famine for three years. As a judgment. But the nation did not repent. After three years, uh, doing, after the, the judgment, Elijah just disappeared. But after three years, he came back. This is where we are in 1 Kings chapter 18. He came back after three years, after the drought. King Ahab saw him, that is Elijah. He exclaimed, So, is it really you, the troublemaker of Israel? I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now, summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, who were supported by Jezebel. Three years later, Elijah returned. He returned, he announced the famine will end. But instead of repenting, King Ahab, he pointed the finger at who? At Elijah. Say, you are the one that caused the trouble. You are the troublemaker. He didn't recognize that he was the one that was the troublemaker. But Elijah turned it around. I'm not the troublemaker. You are. You are the troublemaker. You are the, the people who led, you are the one who led the, God's people astray. And sometime in our lives, God bring a call, uh, bring to us so-called troublemakers into our lives in order to get our attentions. There are people God might place in your life who, who are kind enough, who are honest enough to share with you that perhaps your life is going on the different directions. Take note of these people. They are not troublemakers. Perhaps they are sent by the Lord to confront us, to lead us back. And sometimes they may not be people. It could be event. For here, God used famine. Sometimes God can use events in our lives. It could be a sickness. It could be an accident. It could be a mishap. It could be things that are not going around. These are voices God could be using to catch our attention. Maybe you are going on the wrong direction. It's time to turn back. And God used Elijah here. And then Elijah issued a challenge. Ahab sent words throughout all Israel. Assemble the prophets of Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord or Jehovah God is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. How long will you waver? This word waver means limping. It is, they get it from the words as if the birch were limping from one branch to another, not sure which one to go. It's, a, it's the same word here. He said, basically saying, how much longer you're sitting on the fence? Made up your mind. Which is the true God? Then you follow Him. It is not good to walk in the fence, worshipping two gods. Perhaps the, 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 the people of Israel, they are thinking, okay, I want to have insurance. Okay, I worship God, Jehovah. But then I also worship Baal and Asherah, just in case one fail, I got the other. 
they, they are going. But then Elijah is confronting them. No, there's only one God. It's either one is real, the other are false. It cannot be both are real. You need to decide which is the true God. You cannot each feet on one of the gods. You need to jump both in. And this is the timeless words for us. How long will you limp between two opinions? And God is asking us the same questions in our lives. Are there other things in our life that are competing the place of God in us? God is saying, you don't go and step on both sides. You can only choose on one. Someone said this, Jesus Christ is seeking followers, not admirers. There's no time for becoming a so-called casual Christians. If Jesus is really Lord, then our response is take up our cross and follow Him. If He is not Lord, it doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter at all. Someone say, oh, Jesus is good. I like Him. He died for my sin. I'll follow Him. Yes, it's good. But some of His teaching, maybe it doesn't apply to me. Maybe it's too difficult to follow. I will just KIV. I'll put it aside. But the question is here, if Jesus rose from the dead, prove that He is God then we have to accept all he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, if he is not God, why worry about the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ? No need to worry. But if he is really God, then you better worry. You better think carefully again. The issue now hangs on not whether we like his teaching. The issue now hangs is whether is he really God? Is he really who he claimed to be? If Jesus is alive, risen from the dead, exalted, and the right hand of God, then He is Lord. We have to treat Him as the Lord of our lives instead of putting other things in His place. And guess what? When the challenge was given, what was the people's response? They said nothing. Nothing. They don't want to do anything. They said nothing. Why? Maybe they are fearing of, fearful of losing out. Okay, I give out one God. Maybe I'll lose out. And maybe he's jumping into the unknown because majority of the people there, they were following Baal and Asherah. And for them, on their own, they go and jump in. It is going to be the odd one out. A lot of so-called uncertainty. They were afraid. So Elijah gave them a challenge. Then Elijah said to them, the people of Israel, I am the only one of the Lord's prophet left. Actually, he wasn't the only one, but at the time, he thought he was the only one. But Baal have 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire on it. I will prepare the other bull, put it on the wood, but not set fire on it. Then, you call upon the name of your God, I will call upon the name of the Lord, Jehovah. The God who answers by fire, He is God. At this time, the people responded, ah, good, 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 this is good, this is good. Now I can see some so-called evidence. This is good. They feel right now it is more secure and safe. Elijah, what Elijah proposed here is putting the prophets of Baal all on the advantage why? First of all, Mount Carmel. 
Mount Carmel is between Israel and Phoenicia. And it's regarded as a sacred dwelling place of the god Baal. So it's like you're on a, you have the home ground advantage. And then Baal is also the god of nature. He's the god who can provide rain and lightning, therefore fire. So okay, I give it to you. You have the advantage here. And guess what? The people of the prophets of Baal, they came together. First, they cry out to their gods. They dance. They dance from morning to noon. Nothing happened. Then Elijah, being a little bit, um, what is the word? Sarcastic or cheeky, he said, call louder. Louder lah. Maybe your God is daydreaming. And then if you have the New Living Translation, the next thing you ask is what? Maybe your God is in the toilet relieving himself. And then you go further. Maybe your God is away on a trip. Or maybe your God is asleep. asleep. Call louder. So they tried. This time they screamed louder. But it still didn't help. After dancing, they begin to cut themselves to get the attention of their God. They cut themselves. Blood came out, cut themselves. Still no answer till the evening time, the whole day. No answer, no response. And then Elijah responded. Elijah called the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord. They had been torn down. He took 12 stones, each representing represent each of the tribes of Israel. He used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold three gallons of water. He piled the woods on the altar, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Notice this. First, Elijah repaired the altar. What happened? The altar was torn down. Because of the idolatry. People were worshipping other gods. They ignore the altar of the Lord. It was neglected, not used. So he had to repair. And then he rebuilt it back with what? Twelve stones. Why twelve stones? Because at that time, Israel were divided into two nations, the north and the south. But he represented the unity of God's people together. Maybe today, God is telling us, do you need to rebuild the altar of your life? What is the altar? The altar is the place where we meet God. The altar is the place where we come before God and say, God, I need to be accepted by you. I need to be accepted by you through a sacrifice. And that's what the people do. It's a place where we come before God. I need to acknowledge that you are Lord. You are Lord. And today, maybe God is speaking to us. It's the altar of your heart, the place of worship, the place where you meet God, neglected. If it's neglected, it's time to rebuild. Time to rebuild again. Because the sacrifice has been done. By who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Think again. And then Elijah went on to do, put himself on a further disadvantage. He dug the trenches. He wet that place, the whole place with 12 barrels of water, four pots, three times. Make it wet so that he can assure the people 
it is not by hook, by crooks, that I bring, bring about the fire. And then, next. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, or Jacob, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and I've done these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that the people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and you are turning their hearts back again. It is a short prayer, short prayer, not a very long prayer. He prayed to the God of the living, the God of the past, God of the present, God of the living, Jehovah God. And then the, he said, God, demonstrate your power so that what? So that I get the glory? No. So that people will know you are God. Look at Elijah's heart. Look at Elijah's heart for God's glory. Elijah's heart for the people. He want desperately people to know God. He himself have known God, but the people do not fully know God. He really want the people to know God. That's why he, he put himself in such danger. He put himself in such a situations. Why? Because he know that God loves them. God cares for them. This is a covenant-keeping God. God loves them. He want the people to come back. And he was so confident because he knows God. Right from the beginning, he did not waver. Right from the beginning, he experienced God. And what happened? Then the fire of the Lord burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate. Finally, the people responded. They fell prostrate and cried, The Lord! The, he is God. The Lord, Jehovah, He is God. But the people's response was just superficial because later on, you see the people continue with their idolatry. But here, I want to focus on the Lord's fire. The fire of the Lord that came down and consumed the sacrifice. This fire of the Lord represents His presence. His presence. He is the true God. His presence. Remember, God led the people of, of Israel out in the, in the wilderness through a, a pillar of fire. Represents His presence. And the fire also represents His judgment against idolatry. Against idolatry. People turning away. Later on, the people turned around. They saw the 450 prophets of Baal. They slaughtered every one of them. They cannot be contaminations. The, the fire represents His presence, represents His judgments, and interestingly, it represents His love. You say, hey, fire, love, how does it? Why? Because the Bible says our God is a jealous God. Jealousy and love, how does it come together? You're jealous because you love. In the Song of Solomon's, if you look carefully at the Song of Solomon's, let me just read to you He's, he's talking about the love of the lover. He said, The love is as strong as death, jealousy is as severe as shoal, and flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. God's love, God's fire, 
God's jealousy all bound together because God care for His people. I'm married to Karen. Karen is my wife. If any of you get too intimately, physically to her, do you think I will just sit down and do nothing? Chiming, come on, be magnanimous, be a big heart. It's okay. No, because I love her. I will go and confront you. What are you doing? Hello? Why are you standing too close? Why are you putting your arms around my wife? What are you doing? Why? I love her. It is not an envious love, but it is a jealous because I want the best for her. And this is the God of Israel. This is the God for us. He bought Israel out of Egypt. He loved Israel. He jealously, he wanted to bless Israel. But he knew that these gods that the people are worshipping, the prophet, the God of Baal, God is, is leading them astray. His love compels him to act out of his, his jealousy for his, uh, the people. He wants the best for his people. That's why the fire of the Lord came down. Came down. As you look at this story, you look, wow, a dramatic story. It's a nice story. But if you look at the New Testament, the story gets even better. Even better. There was one person in the New Testament. He was called also Elijah. You know who? He's the one also God used to call the people back. Let's look at this guy. Luke chapter 1. Verse 17. I put bracket there, John the Baptist, so that it's easier. I, I, it's not in the Bible. I put it in because before that, the context referring to John the Baptist. He will be the man in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the Father to their children and He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. The miracle you see in the New Testament, it's even greater. It's not that the fire of heaven came down again to burn down the sacrifice, but rather God Himself came down as the sacrifice for you and for me. John the Baptist's role is the same as Elijah. He asks today for all of us, how long will you waver? Today we need to ask ourselves, are there things in our lives that steal away our hearts, turning it away to other gods? That in the end, we are the one who suffer. How to know the true God? How to know the true God? The other gods require strenuous efforts to please, whereas the true God accepts us by His grace. The other gods require strenuous dancing. Look at the prophets of Baal. First, they dance. They dance in the altar in an attempt to get the, the God's attentions. Same way also. Many other gods operates the same way. If you obey well enough, you'll be accepted. The religious gods say, have you danced hard enough? Have you kept all the commandments good enough? Then I will accept you. The secular gods, same thing also. It's just as demanding 
Some people worship different gods. Popularity, status, money, beauty. They demand also that we dance like a slave to please them. If money is our God, then we will dance like a slave in order to get into the right school, to get the right job, to get the right promotion, to put in enough hours. If beauty is our school for acceptance, we dance literally so that you will feel good about your body. If popularity is our God, then we will dance with our circles of friends desperately to gain their approval. If the bosses, our children, our spouse is our God's, we do the same thing. We dance to get their approval. But the true God is known by His grace. He accepts us by His grace. That is why the good news, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is different. We are accepted not based on our obedience. We are accepted based on the grace of God. I obey. Therefore, uh, I, other gods say, I obey, therefore I am accepted. The gospel say, I am accepted, therefore I obey. But how can this be so? Lead us to the final point here. The other gods mutilate us, but the true God mutilated himself for you and for me. The gods of Baal, the, the prophets of Baal, first they dance. No response. Then what did they do? They ended up slashing themselves until blood came down. False gods or other gods will push us into destruction. Work harder, do better, obtain more. If you don't get my attention, slash yourself. Why? We slash ourselves by sometimes people going to crash diets to attain a perfect figure or certain things we make in order to look good. We slash our family sometimes by overworking to make the extra, to gain the acceptance. We slash our soul by compromising some of our integrity to get people's affections, get people's attentions. But the true God, if you look at the New Testament, the fire that came down, who is the fire? It's the Lord Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was cut for you and for me. The story ends with a magnificent fire coming down. So in the New Testament, and with even greater story. The Lord Jesus Christ came down, He died on the cross, He suffered for you and me. The disciples of Jesus Christ didn't get it then, when He came. Because there were people who reject Him at Samaria. There were people who at Samaria rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what the disciples said at the time? Disciples said, should we call down fire from heaven like Elijah to show them that you are the one true God? Should we call down fire? Why today we don't see fire? But they don't get it. They misinterpret the meaning of the Old Testament story. The fire had come. And the fire of judgment, of presence, of love had come. Who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't Elijah who called down fire. He is a sacrifice who received the fire of judgments. He took his body into the fire of God's justice. He took his life into the fire of God's love. Other gods say, dance for me, slash yourself for me. Jesus said, I slash myself for you. And therefore, it is very 
easy in one sense, but it is the right thing, only good thing, to respond, to worship God fully. In light of Jesus Christ is the true God who died for you and I, we should worship Him wholeheartedly. All the days of life, not, not when we are young, or not when we are older, or when we are, not when we are somewhere in between, but all the days of our lives. No need to waver to and fro. Today, I come to church or not. Or today, do I tell the truth or do I tell the lie? Or today, do I do this or not? All this has been decided. Why? Because of our Lord Jesus Christ. He came, He conquered, He died for you and I. And that's the challenge for us. So my challenge today for you, two things. If today you sat here, you are not a believer yet. You do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not sure. I encourage you, encourage you today. Open your heart. Invite Jesus into your life. But if today you have been a believer for some time in the game, but God is putting things in your heart that other things is taking your attentions. Let the love of the Lord Jesus Christ draw you back to Him again. Back to Him again. Confront any false gods in your life. Things that, and let the Lord Jesus Christ, the fire of His love, of His presence, of His judgment, burn away all that is not from Him. I invite the musicians to come forward. Let's bow for time of prayer. where you are, ask the Lord to speak to you. I've given the challenge just now. Those of you who do not know Jesus Christ, you have been visiting our church, you do not know Him personally. But if today, you want to accept Him into your life, I'd like to pray with you. If that's your heart's desire, with every heart, every head bow, if that's the heart's desire to want to accept the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, I invite you to raise your hand and I can pray with you. Anyone? Anyone here today who would like to invite Him into your life? Just raise your hand. I'd like to pray with you. The second challenge I've given also, those of you who have been a believer for some time, maybe the Lord is speaking to you. You are wavering between two. God Himself as well as your own desire or the other gods in your life. Success, relationship, power, appearance, acceptance of others. If that's what is upon your heart and you want to fully come back to God again, I encourage you also to raise your hand and I can pray alongside with you. Anyone? Yes. Anymore? Just raise your hand if you want to come back, to stop wavering, come back to God. Yes, see one more hand. 
anymore. Shall we all rise? I'd like to pray for the two who raised their hands. Let us all pray together. Lord, I thank you that you came down as the fire of God. God became man. You came down. You burned for our sake. You were slashed for our sake. You are the sacrifice for our sins. You took the blame of God's judgments. Because Lord, you love us and we thank you, Lord. This is the God we worship. And I want to just pray for the two who raised their hand today, Lord. I felt that God, other things are taking their attention away. I pray that God, you today will touch them. You minister to them, assure them about your presence, assure them that you become so real to them so that God, other gods, other things are climbing for their attention who have no competition at all, truly be burned away. But only you dwells. Only you can help them so that God will be faithful to you. They will follow you all the days of your lives. And the rest of us here also today, Father, as we stand, as we stand, as we end this song that Christ is enough, I pray that God is truly, Christ, you are truly enough. Nothing else matters. That God, all the other decisions in our lives subject to these key decisions that God, we have decided to follow you and you alone. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's end with this song.
to cut this together. I've decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning. I've decided. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning the cross before me, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning. Christ is enough. Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. Everything I need is in you. Everything I need. Yes, the Lord is here. He's here not just to be our Lord. He's also here to heal. If you have any sickness or you have any loved one who are sick, you want to pray in boxy for them, I invite you to come forward. Later after I close in prayer, feel free to come forward and invite the elders to come forward also so that they can anoint you with oil and pray for you those who are sick. Let me just close in prayer. Our Lord Jesus Christ, thank you. Thank you that God, you're not a God who demands us to dance before you or slash for you, but you're the God who danced for us, who slashed for us, who was slashed for us. And you're the God who asks us to worship you wholeheartedly. And we thank you. Thank you. I pray the Lord today Help us, Father. Let nothing compete with you in the place of our hearts. And also, Lord, we want to pray for those who are sick. Lord, as they come forward to be prayed for, as they come forward to pray on behalf of the people that you know they are sick, I pray that, Lord, your power will flow so that your name will be glorified because you are God, our healer, a God who wants to heal. And we thank you, we worship you, we praise you in Jesus' name. I invite the elders to come forward and those of you who are sick or who have loved ones who are sick please come we'll pray with you